Uh, before we read tonight, just let me again say what a joy and privilege it has been for Yvonne and for myself to come and be among you, friends. Uh, we appreciate all the support and interest and the prayer support that you share uh, uh, before the throne of grace for us. And thank you so, so much. We really do uh, praise God for His great goodness to us. And it has been a joy uh, to, again, spend some time just a little bit, actually, in this book and a little bit on the life of this amazing man, Job, and to try to bring it into a New Testament situation, to bring it into our lives, because that's really what it's for. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished to every good work. So thank you so much for your prayer support. It's been a steady a graft, actually, uh, keeping going uh, this last uh, three or four weeks uh, with the Wednesday night, and uh, we appreciate God's blessing and protection on us in our traveling, uh, that we were able to come each night, uh, though some nights were not so nice to travel, but we thank God for His preservation on our lives and bringing us here and being with us then when we return home, not in the same evening, but in the next morning. And you've really been very, very kind to us, and you have been so good uh, before the Lord in praying for us. We want you to keep on doing that. Uh, the year ahead is stretching out before us, and the claims and call of God is on us. We are thankful to the Lord that we are still able to do what we do uh, as we do it. So that's just a, a brief uh, uh, introduction this evening uh, for you. And it's really been lovely. I know that there are many people who have been following the programs as well uh, when they're put up on YouTube and on Facebook. Uh, we can never tell where it goes, how many people it touches, and uh, the impact that it will have in the days to come. But we continue to cover it by prayer and pray that the Lord will bless it to those who watch. Amen. Well, we've come to the fourth and, and, and final uh, of this four-night series, and we're going to read tonight from the book of Job, and we're reading from chapter 29. So let's turn to the book of Job, to chapter 29, for our Bible reading this evening. We're going to commence to read at verse 1. I wish there was time to read all the chapter, but uh, we'll just read part of it at the beginning and a little bit at the end. But when we come to this portion of the book of Job, this is the most extensive uh, speech that Job made, and really he was pressed into it after a series of uh, deliberations with those who had come uh, to spend time with him as friends, as they are so called. And uh, then after a series of encounters and discourses, he is uh, pressured to the point where he feels, I need to make my case known. And he does so, 
And in these chapters, actually this one, uh, he is speaking of things as they were. And in the next chapter, he speaks of things as they presently are in his circumstance. But then, in the next chapter, he makes his finest and final defense to the only recourse that he has, and that is to God, his Maker, and the one whom he loved and served. So let's read from chapter 29, and commencing at verse 1, breaking into the speech that Job was making uh, partway through it. Moreover, Job continued his parable or speech and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle or his light shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when I washed my steps with butter, and the rock poured me out rivers of oil, when I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street, the young men saw me and hid themselves, and the aged arose and stood up. The princes refrained talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The nobles held their peace, and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me, and when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me, because I delivered the poor that cried, and the fatherless, and him that had none to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me, and my judgment was as a robe and a diadem. Let's continue reading, because it's it is the inspired Word of God. I was eyes to the blind, and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor, and the cause which I knew not I searched out. And I break the jaws of the wicked, and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. Then I said, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My root was spread out by the waters, and the dew lay all night upon my branch. My glory was fresh in me, and my bow was renewed in my hand. Unto me men gave ear, and waited and kept silence at my counsel. After my words they spake not again, and my speech dropped upon them. And they waited for me as for the rain. And they opened their mouth wide as for the latter rain. If I laughed on them or smiled on them as the word, they believed it not, and the light of my countenance they cast not down. I chose out their way and sat chief and dwelt as a king in the army, as one that comforteth the mourners. But now, Dear loving Lord, we pray, write thy sacred word in all our hearts. We are at thy feet, Lord. We feel very small this evening in the presence of this spiritual giant of Old Testament times. But we realize, Lord, that he is there as a template, as an example, as someone 
to whom we can look and, yes, Lord, aspire, and, yes, Lord, by the grace of God, experience what Job experienced even in his deepest, darkest trial, that there is victory all the way, all the time, for all the people of God. Please, Lord, help us. And for those who are going through a valley of trial and testing, and there have to be some in this congregation, we pray that they too, Lord, will draw solace and strength from what we share and what we have shared. In Jesus, our Savior's name, and everything that Adrian has prayed for, we would add our amen to it. In the name of Jesus, our blessed Savior, amen and amen. On the second night that I was with you, I shared that evening on Job the perfect man and his God. Tonight I want to spend the last uh, evening that we will share together at this time on Job the perfect man and his relationships, not excluding the divine relationship totally, but because it has already been dealt with, I'm more on the horizontal tonight than on the vertical. But here is a man who in his horizontal relationships is just a one man, unique. And the principal emphasis in the life of Job was the relationships that he had in his home, his relationships then with his servants, his relationships in the community, and indeed his relationship with those who had come to spend time with him that we came to know as his uh, comforting or endeavoring to comfort friends. So he had a lot of relationships. And the Bible reading that we have had tonight is an expression of the outworking of those relationships in the life of this wonderful man. And so we're looking at him tonight more particularly in his relationships to people. You know, really, we cannot separate our relationship with God from relationships with people. And when the Lord Jesus was speaking, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. There is one of the great commandments. And then he says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So he gives them a horizontal relationship, a love relationship, but he also speaks of a, a vertical relationship, but he also speaks of a horizontal relationship or relationships. And this of course, is bound up in the Master's teaching. And here we have Job in his family, and we could take it on in our lives in church, into the community, because we are social beings. No man liveth to himself, says the Bible, and no man dieth to himself. We cannot live in our world without having an influence on people who are all around us. And the ripples that come out from our lives, like throwing a stone into a pond, they go out and out to the very edges. And Mr. Campbell, the Reverend Duncan Campbell, used to say that we create impulses and impacts in lives here that will stretch out 
into eternity. Our lives are very influential, amazingly and more so than perhaps we like to think about. And here in this life, we have an exemplary life. Job, the perfect man. And that relates primarily to his relationship to God. But in his upright relationship, as I said, it relates to the horizontal. And that would be our expectation, that what he believed in, what he knew, how he related to God, would work out in everyday life. And it did. It did. So to come back again, perhaps for a little while, we have Job in his home. Job in his home. What a home that must have been. What a relationship it must have been, too, because it seems as they, uh, they set up home, Job and his wife, that God richly blessed them. They didn't just have one or two children. They had actually ten. And he was a very rich man. Any man who has got seven sons and three lovely daughters is a very rich man indeed. And praise God for the home that these children were birthed into and the environment in which they grew up. They really had a father who knew God. And I thank God that I had a father who knew God. Because I was just looking the other day in an old Bible that I inherited from him. And I found the date of his spiritual birth. And it was in 1943. I was born at the end of 1945. So my dad was in the kingdom before I was born. But you know, also in Yvonne's life, she grew up in a similar home. Her dad, who used to be a dance band leader and traveled her countryside playing through the night and working on the farm in the day, when God saved him, that changed his life completely. And he was a very busy man a very busy farmer, not only farming his own farm, but also in contract farming in the community. But he never missed reading the Word of God. The one book that he read through every year was his Thompson Chain Reference Bible. And that Thompson Chain Reference Bible sits on a little lectern in our hallway, and everybody who comes to our door at the house or walks into our hallway, there it is, the Thompson Chain Reference Bible sitting open on the little lectern, well-worn, and all ear down round the sides and everywhere. And no matter what else was attended to, prayer and the reading of God's Word. And then in the evening with the three girls, gathered them around, and they had family prayers, two hymns from the Songs of Victory. Caldwell Dyer said that's the hymn book that Paul and Silas used when they were in prison. And uh, they sang two songs of victory every night, and they had the Bible reading and prayer. And if the girls were good, they got a Sharps toffee. Now, some of you won't know what a Sharps toffee is, but you could chew at it for a long time, and if you had fillings, it would take it out as well. <laughs> but, you know, we grew up in that sort of environment. And praying parents who went to prayer meeting and who sought God and who lived for God. And, you know, I was at a funeral today 
of a great friend of ours. He's gone home to be with the Lord, and his son was giving a tribute to him today. And he said, you know, in all of our lives growing up as a family, he said, my dad never once raised his voice that I know of. And he said, I never once, nor my sister, ever heard an argument in our home. And the man he was speaking about, I think I could vouchsafe for that because the influence of his life, wherever he went, and his love for Jesus and his passion for the message of full salvation and his input into so many missionary societies and prayer meetings was just immense. God is looking for and God needs that kind of home in the world that Adrian was making reference to this evening when he was praying, and we're all very well aware of it. And you know, my family's greatest need is my total dedication to God. My family's greatest need is to see the sanctified life working out in my relationships with my wife, in my relationships with my children, in my relationships with my relatives and my neighbors and my friends and the people that I share with, they see more than we are aware of. And so to look back over the life of Job and to realize that as he grew, as the children grew up, not only when they were young, but when they became adults, here is a man who had an altar and a prayer life, and sacrifices that were offered on their behalf. Not because they had outwardly or knowingly on Job's part had sinned against God, but just in case they had. Just in case they had. Job was erring on the safe side to keep a hedge around his family so that the very most that he could do for their best life and living would be done. You know, my dear people, I have to say this, that even though some men and some people have done all that that I've shared of, they still can have wayward children. There were godly men in the Bible and leaders whose family didn't always follow the Lord. So I'm not pronouncing a judgment on your life if your children are straying. But I encourage you with this message, train up a child in the way which he should go, and when he is old, in the Hebrew, when he is older, he will not depart from it. My friends, there is something that is very difficult to erase, and it is the seed that is implanted in the hearts of our children when they are young. Many a time when I was on missions and away from home, it was Yvonne who was doing the job at home because I did so many missions back in the days when our children were young. And she would gather them, and they would have church. And they would sing, and the Bible would be read. And so the seed was planted. And ladies and gentlemen, 
That seed is the incorruptible seed of the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Sow the seed early and then look and wait and believe for God to cause it to germinate somewhere, sometime, maybe when you're least expecting it. I would like to have grown up in Job's home in those days long ago when such an influence of godliness was around about my young life. And that was a substantial period of time. Job's relationships in his home. I imagine he had a good relationship with his wife. Even whenever things were very difficult and she was a bit chagrined by what was happening and she was a little bit sharp and she vented off and she said, curse God and die. But before she said that, she said this, dost thou still retain thine integrity. Job's wife had seen him. She had watched him. She lived with him. And the people who live with us know us best. Reminds me of John who was testifying in a meeting and he was getting on well and he was having good liberty and there was quite a crowd and then just down near the back a woman stood up and she said, John, remember I'm here, was the wife. It kind of cut his liberty a bit. <laughs> Dost thou still retain thine integrity? I thought about Job's wife, you know, and I wouldn't want to misjudge her. Because when we think of it, this woman had suffered immensely also. She had seen ten of her children carried out of the home. Ten of them who had died. We have watched families and we have watched women weeping and beating their breast in anguish and agony because their children and grandchildren and loved ones and relatives have died and perished this week in the land of Turkey and in Syria. What anguish! Indescribable anguish! She too had suffered. She was no longer first lady in the district. Now she was the wife of a man who was rejected, cast off, a man who was going through a deep, dark trial, she too was passing through it. And you know, sometimes women carry the emotions of things like this deeper than men. Or maybe it is that ladies show their emotions a little bit more than men. But both feel the anguish of events like this. So let's not judge her too harshly because when I'm speaking about it, just let's remember that she was still there for Job at the other end of the event. And she was still there to be a mother again. And another lovely family was birthed into that home 
and God replaced what had been taken away. And in the latter part of the book, it says, Of the daughters of Job, there were none fairer in the land. God is good. And God is always good. So maybe tonight, wife, you're going through a difficult trial. Maybe you feel a little bit frayed. And sometimes you speak sharply. Just remember that God is in control. And the circumstances that you're passing through, He's allowing them for some purpose. Not that you might become a failure. Not that you might shake your fist at God. But that you might be better after it than before you're gone into it. Job in his home. Also, we find Job in his community. And chapter 29 is a great chapter because this is Job in the community. And we read it through. And it provides windows in the reality of Job's life. It's his testimony in his community. And you know, the Lord never told us to embalm our holiness. He told us to embody it. We are not meant to keep it as a casket within our breast and say, Lord, I thank you that I have been made holy. Lord, I thank you for what you have done in me so that I might embody that in my life. And Job embodied it in so many different areas of his life. And without prolonging it out long, Job was highly respected, verses 7 to 11. And we read the chapter through. And of course, you can make reference to it again afterward if you're listening on the uh, Facebook or YouTube channels. Job was highly respected by all who knew him best in verses 7 to 11. Young men stepped to the side as the man of God walked through the community. The city elders stood up in respect as he passed along their pathway or in their direction. Even when he sat in the seat of council in the city, the leading men of the city ceased to speak when Job began to speak. Such was the awe, such was the influence those who heard me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me. He says that in verse 11. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me, and when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me. Now, what I want to say here is this. Job is not on a boasting path here. Job is not displaying his wares to say, look at the great boy I am. Job has been pressured into this because these men, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, they had an argument. And they said, uh, Eliphaz said, only the wicked suffer. Bildad said, the wicked always suffer. And Zophar said, 
the wicked prosper for a while. And Elihu, who had some more quantity and quality in what he said, he said to Job, don't be criticizing God. And you know, Job didn't criticize God. But he said, don't criticize God, it's for your good. And that's the stripe of the four men. So after they had laid these charges on Job, Job felt himself pushed into a corner to say, look men, this is what I want to tell you. This is how I have lived. I'm not parading my, my life. I'm telling you how it is. What a selfless life of ministry he had. Verses 12 to 17. A life that was poured out to others. Rather than exploit people, he shared his possessions with them. He reached out to the disabled. I was thinking he would have been a very good helper in Disabled Christian Fellowship. He reached out to the people who needed a hand up. And where Job saw injustice and oppression, he confronted it and he rescued victims from its clutches. 29 and verse 17. And even in his darkest days, in verses 18 to 20, hope and confidence in the future spurred him on in the service of his God and true to the Lord. And he believed that his family would continue to expand. Verses 18 to 20. And in verses 21 to 25, it was Job's thrilling joy to speak words of encouragement and help to those who were cast down. I put in my note, he was an Old Testament Barnabas, a son of encouragement. He says his words were like gentle rain. His smile was like a ray of light which brought a new light to those who were perplexed. Job's testimony in the community. I remember a salesman one time in a firm and he said to his father, he says, you know, when I see somebody coming in on the forecourt, and a Bible sitting on the dash of the car, I say, look out. Not everybody who professes to be saved has a testimony that rings true. Not everybody who says, I'm the Lord's, lives like the Lord. And the sad tragedy of Northern Ireland is so many whose life's testimony has, instead of being a stepping stone, has been a stumbling block to the ungodly and unconverted. They're looking at your walk, not listening to your talk, they're judging by your actions every day. Oh God, by the grace of God, 
by the divine anointing of your Spirit, let my life be a display of the beautiful Jesus that I profess to know. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen on me and through me. All his wonderful passion and purity. O thou Spirit divine, make all thy nature mine until the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. When Sadhusundar Singh came to London to meet George F. Dempster, and the Sadhu was the man who traveled and traversed the Himalayas barefoot to reach his own people in Tibet. The Sadhu, he was known actually to Mr. Joshua Daniels' father. When Joshua Daniels was a very young man, uh, when, when Joshua Daniels' father was a very young man, he had acquaintance with the Sadhu. And the Sadhu said to him, You want to come with me to Tibet? No, he said, Your place is India. Your place is India. But when the Sadhu came to London, and he arrived at George F. Dempster's home. And George F. Dempster was a very special man of God who lived in London, a minister, and he worked in the docks to win the dockers for Jesus. The care at the house went to the door. And here is this eastern-looking man. And he said, I've come to see Mr. Dempster. Oh, she said, I'm sorry. But Mr. Dempster is in his study, and he is preparing for a service, and this period is sacrosanct. But I insist, said the man, I must see him. She went to the study door. Yes. She said, there is a man, a gentleman at the door, and he insists that he must see you. And he said, who is he? She says, I don't know who he is, but he looks like Jesus. The same was said of George W. Truth, the great soul winner. I've got a book of his messages in my library at home. Said the young lady as she walked past him and looked at him and he thought, oh, she knows me but I don't recognize her. I'm sorry, but should I know you? No, she said, sir, I don't think I've ever seen you before. But he said, I thought by the way you looked at me, you recognized me. She said, sir, I've never seen anyone who so looks like Jesus. Now, we might look like him in our countenance, but not act like him in everyday action. But the countenance sometimes is a very good register of the soul. Because the ugly of the heart is sometimes seen and felt and heard in the activity of the face and the tongue and the hand and the foot. Oh, my dear people, that everything that is of grace, that everything that is of God, just like 
electric to our houses. Every building has an earth wire. And we want something that earths down the divine energy of God within our souls, that it is earthed into our world, into our lives, into our living, into our community, into our homes. Amen. My last thought this evening for you is Job's relationship in the presence of his critics, in the presence of his critics. A great part of the book of Job is taken up with his interaction with these men, men who seemed to know him and had come a distance. Whether Job had grown up in their community and was now living in what we know as Jordan or Edom or us, and they had come to be friends to him. At least they came. Others didn't. They had some feeling for him. We need to go and spend time with our friend. And when they saw him, they were so overawed by the specter that they saw that they couldn't even speak. They were overcome. And for a number of days, they sat and watched him. And then they made their judgments, and sadly, their judgments were misjudgments. But even when they had said all that they had said to Job, Job still maintained his integrity. Job didn't lash out on them. He certainly rebuked them. He reproved them for what they had said. But I think, you know, having said last week that whenever Satan attacked Job's life, he took away his possessions, permitted so by God. He took away Job's health, and he was left a festering sore scratching himself and sitting in ashes. But though the voice and the name of Satan doesn't appear any other where in the book, I think he had to be working all along the line and allowing these men to say what they were saying or prompting them to say what they were saying so that Job's sufferings through the misjudgments of his friends over this protracted period of time, had to in some way go back to that infernal foe of this good man of God. And sometimes, you know, when people say things about us and do things to us, the Lord allows it sometimes just to allow us to see where we are in grace. Because it's not the action, it's the reaction that is the thermometer or the barometer of our lives. How do you react when someone says something that's not nice or not true? Would you be the kind of person would fly off the handle? Would you be the man with the short fuse? One of my pastor friends in Alabama, uh, he had a differential from a tractor sitting on his minister's desk. I said to him, Hal, what, what's that there for? 
He said, Brother Eric, before God sanctified me, he said, when I was working at machinery, if I couldn't get a thing to move, he said, I got into it. And I just went full at it, full blood, and lost the head. But he said, when God dealt with me at a deeper level, he said, that differential was the last one, he says, that I lost the head with. And I have it there as a reminder. Job, going through the trials that he had gone through, and being tested like he was by these men, still after it was all over, God stepped in and said to these men, the thing that you have said about my servant Job is not true. And then he said, Job, pray for these men. <laughs> what a challenge that was. Pray for these men who have said all these things about you. And Job did. And the sun shone down on Job, and God blessed him and touched him again. God says, pray for those that despitefully use you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Old Mr. Nicholson said, as long as it's false, but he says if it's true, God help you. <laughs> he prayed for the people who had mistreated him. You know, I put here, Character supersedes circumstance. Because in Job's chapter 30, Job chapter 30, we pass through Job's valley of the shadow. The deep dark trial that he was in. But even through it, his character still superseded the circumstance. What he was as a refined man, pure strained honey, as I said to you in the first evening, his name, what he was in his heart, came through, came up on the surface, so that the character of Job shines out. And after he tells the men how it is with him now, and he feels he has said all that he can say, the question arises, have I any recourse? Is there anyone else that I can appeal to who will come on my side? And bearing in mind that through all of this, God was a silent God. When we come to chapter 31, if you read chapter 31, I'm just saying this because I'm going to close now soon. Twenty times in chapter 31, you will read a little word, very small, but extremely significant. Do you know what it is? If. If. And twenty times Job calls Twenty circumstances to the record. And now he's not speaking to his friends. Now he's addressing the God who seems to have hidden himself. And he says, if this is true, if this is true, if this is true, 
And he under oath had put God on his mark that God would strike him in judgment. And when he came to the end of the chapter, after having emptied all his arsenal of defense and appeal to God, we read these words. The words of Job are ended. Lord, I have spilled it out. I have told you just how it is. Just how I feel. And here I am. And if on any of these grounds my judgment is far-fetched or misplaced or I am indeed guilty, then come and demonstrate your justice. And everybody was silent. His friends, they were stunned, silent. You know what? They were expecting something to happen. They were expecting a shaft of lightning or a sudden strike. Or some judgment. But instead of that, the silent God became the speaking God. And when Job had come to the end of himself, it was the beginning of God presenting himself. And as you read through the end part of this book, which we haven't time to deal with now, my dear friends, it was worth it for Job to stand true and stay firm, believing that God would vindicate him. His accusers were sure that God would condemn him. But then he said, I have heard of thee, the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Job, the perfect man and brighter vision. Now I see it. O oh God, what I was passing through was such a dark, valley. No voice from heaven. No light that I could see. Sailing like Paul, two weeks neither sun, stars, or moon, and the tempest blasting and blowing. But at the final analysis, God And he spoke to Paul too at the end of it all. And friends, if we stay true, God will come through. This is not in my note. This is as I hear the voice of God. You say, Pastor Eric, 
if you only knew the travail of my soul, if you only knew the complexities that are in my life, and it seems like I'm grasping straws, I want to tell you this evening that your prayers are heard in heaven. And if God is quiet, it is because he is allowing you to keep true and trust and dig deeper and come out clearer at the other end. Because we will all experience somewhere in life a deep, dark trial wherein it God wants to touch us and bring us from where we are to where he wants us to be. And do you know where he wants us to be? On higher ground. On higher ground. Isn't that what we had at the start? That's what Adrian had for us. And I thought, what a hymn. And now I've got a hymn for you. And we're going to sing it together. And it is a good hymn in the context of all that I've shared with you. So let's turn to our hymn books and we're going to sing a hymn that you know very well. 548. 548. You know, when Job got through, all that had happened or all that was even going to happen it didn't matter now. And when we get through, my dear people, life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, the deep, dark trials and sorrows of life will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. I want my life, oh, I could, Sharon or Sandra, I'm not sure which. Sharon, oh, and my memory's not so bad at all. <laughs> yes, I want my life to be all filled with praise to thee, my precious Lord divine, who died for me. Look at that verse 3. When evil foes assail and almost would prevail, in that dark hour be thou my strength and shield, and so on.